Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a junior journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, my name is Tyler Pays and I'm a junior journalist here at the Fintech Times. Hello guys, how are you doing today? Hey Polly, hey Tyler, yeah I'm not too bad today, it's business as usual, we're nearing the end of the week so it's happy days, but yeah no I'm not too bad, how are you guys? Yeah I'm pretty good, Tyler how are you? Yeah I'm doing very well today guys, business as usual as Francis said and we're cracking on with our coverage of cybersecurity this month, it's all good. Yeah perfect, so Francis... Very quickly, what are you going to be talking about today? I'm very happy with the topic that I'm talking about today because we are going to be looking at the Clash of the Titans, which was between Amazon and Visa, banning Visa credit cards. Yeah, that, that was a good article. Whoever wrote that, or, you know, really, really <laughs> top notch. Um, Tyler, how about you? Quickly, what are you going to be doing today? Today, we're going to be looking at the data of Juniper Research and how that correlates to the growth in e-commerce payments. Fantastic. And I'm going to go first this week because I feel like I never go first. So sorry guys but anyway the article that i wanted to bring to the table today was that goodbox increased donations to religious organizations by 59 percent in 2021 so goodbox is a fintech revolutionizing how uh, we give and how we donate and they published a new report highlighting how donations to religious organizations increased in 2021 so uh, believers across the UK have rallied to support their places of worship with the average donation value increasing by 59% compared to pre-COVID levels. So religious organisations, as well as a bunch of other charities and other organisations that do rely on public donations, they've been adopting contactless technology to help maximise donations in an increasingly cashless society. Obviously, with the pandemic and the push towards cashless and contactless, it's the charities and places that rely on donations that have kind of been suffering more than others. So these uh, contactless devices allow organisations to not only take card payments seamlessly, but also to set donations to a specific amount, depending on the device. And data from Goodbox highlighted just how generous worshippers have been, um, with the average donation now up to £13.75. So the report was released in association with Contactless Giving Week, and Goodbox also highlighted that in August 2021 was a record month for contactless donations in the UK, with a 77% increase on the previous record, which was set in December 2019. So I wanted to talk about this one today because I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic and all the announcement about restrictions and blah, 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 blah. So I really wanted to get your guys' opinion on this. I think as well, charity and contactless donations are just such a very interesting topic. I mean, have you guys seen the donation plate that Goodbox make? It looks almost exactly like um, a regular sort of donation plate you might get in a church, but obviously it's got this big contactless thing on it. Um, if you want to go on the website and take a look at it, it actually looks super cool. Um, so Francis, did you have any like thoughts on this? Like, what, what did you think? I don't really know where to begin because I've got three different things I want to mention, but I think I'll start with the sort of the figure that you brought up, which was £13.75, right, which was the average amount that is donated. And I think what a great, such a great thing of this like contactless development is that you, I don't think you would have seen that sort of figure before. 
because back in when everyone had cash in their pockets, it would always be the petty cash. It'd be maybe a couple of quid or at most maybe a fiver or a tenner. But I don't think you'd ever really see much more than that because the idea was is whatever you had in your pocket, you would give. So I really like this idea that you're now seeing more and more people willing to like dig into their pockets or their digital pockets, shall we say, to reach more to help charities. And it ties in with like the next talking point that I had, which was it's great to see in a world where we are, as you mentioned, becoming more cashless and where cashless options are becoming the favoured thing. We're now seeing charities also be able to keep up and not get left behind. Because as, as you mentioned, these donations were always typically cash first and it would be whatever you had left behind. So I really think that it's it's really nice and sort of almost wholesome to see that that charities are able to keep up with digitization. Yeah, and I think it's just a, a really important point, like you're saying there about the size of donations, you know, before it would just be like whatever pennies you might have had in your pocket and with people not having cash anymore. I haven't had cash for ages in my wallet, but to just be able to like tap a thing and give money because a lot of the time the ones I've seen any there's some in the high street where I live in Shrewsbury there are some sort of like near bus stops in the walls of shops just like little tap donation points for like homeless charities and things like that and they're usually always set to like around three pound in your head you're like oh yeah three pound that, that's like a coffee that's nothing so yeah I'll gladly give that to charity when suddenly when you have to scrounge up coins from your pocket it's always a bit I don't know more effort I guess are we just lazy I don't know but Tyler what did you have on this one well I think it's a really good idea I I think that it's sort of fintech for good in practice really I mean the church that I live near in in Spitalfields the the one and only time I ever stepped foot in that church uh I actually saw one of those uh the contactless donation points so I I think it's really good and it sort of brings convenience if anything to to people who want to donate I mean when you two said you, you know about loose change and having to like sort of dig in your pockets I think it really sort of brings a, a, a level of convenience and it sort of marries this idea of ch- charitable doing with with fintech and I think that's a it's a really it's a really great initiative yeah and I think the main thing to note as well that it isn't just like religious places that that do these things like uh, I've seen them in like museums so like the natural history museum I think has one for donations as you go in uh, various different like charity points even like at sort of events um, I've been to there's been sort of like a little podium at the front with a little contactless thing and I just think you know it's it's a really ingenious way of doing it and so I guess my last question to you guys is is this the future you know are we going to see you know those little collection box of pennies at tills are they going to go away and it's going to be all purely contactless what do you think Francis, I'm going to pick on you because you're going to pick on me first I, I thought Tyler might want to jump in there I don't think they ever will go away because there's always going to be the those times, I think, at least in the near future, where you need cash and for whatever reason you do have a bit of spare change lying about and you think, well, I've got nothing else for this. I'd, why not give it to a good cause? But I definitely think there is going to be like this new option that is going to be created. But you also have to think, how much money is it going to take to install these things? It's not as simple as here's a little box that you can put some money in. And I think that's where the real question is going to be is, is it going to be a worthwhile investment? They have to weigh up how many donations they're actually getting. Is it going to be something where they're able to still make a, a viable profit to help the charities? Or is it something just for the sake of digitizing? And I think that's where the big question lies. Yeah, that's actually a really good point And something I forgot to bring up that obviously there is going to be 
uh, a cost for the contactless payment device in the first place. And also, I believe there is a like small transaction fee on every donation. So I guess that is something to factor in um, in terms of charity. But Tyler, your final thoughts on this? I don't think that it's going to completely eradicate the use of cash. I think that it's going, it's another addition. It's another addition to to, to pay tech. So I, yeah, I, I think it's very important and the points you raised with the installation fee. Uh, but, but in general, I, I, think it, I think it will work well with the existing measures that we have in place. Fantastic. Okay, so moving on, Tyler, why don't you go next? Well, today I'm going to be talking about the research of everybody's favourite data provider, Juniper Research. So this week, they very kindly sent me through some data that looked at e-commerce payment transactions. Now, what their data said was that by 2026, we can expect to see a 55% increase in said transactions from the $4.9 trillion recorded in 2021, all the way up to $7.5 trillion by 2026. So it's a five-year time frame we're working with here. Now, many of you might be asking, what is an omni-channel retail experience? What an omni-channel retail experience is, is it sort of marries together in-store shopping with, with online shopping. And it, it's an amalgamation of being able to access social media feeds and online showrooms, sales and physical goods, and it all brings it together. And I think the main important takeaway to, to recognize from om- omni-channel retail experiences is it, is it creates a seamless experience for the consumer right up to the checkout so i i think it's it's really good to see these figures coming through what the article did suggest in their findings was that we should all once again copy china so why should we copy china well by 2026 37 percent of these payment transactions will originate from china it went as far to suggest how we should copy china and what it recommended was the use of digital wallets. I mean, we're, we're seeing them coming up hugely anyway. So it, it really wanted to push forward this use. It also recommended the use of open banking payments, which we all know are very successful for, for bolstering these sorts of figures, and also crypto payments. So we're seeing a lot of companies now accept crypto for, for payments. And I think that's really good. And what it also points out is that uh, by 2026, 82% of payment transactions will come from the sale of physical goods. So the last thing that it recommended was that retailers really should support buy now, pay later. Now, what we've seen with buy now, pay later is a lot of people, it's sort of it's sort of good, it's sort of bad, like it sort of leads a lot of people into debt. And I think maybe that's a question that we should address. But it will bolster these figures and allow people to compete with China, essentially. So I'm just really interested to see what you guys want to know about this. Uh, Polly, let's start with you. I think from reading this article, I think what we're just seeing time and time again in the industry is that the customer demands and the customer wants are really just leading the way in how e-commerce and payments and, and all of that is happening. Um, and it is very unsurprising to me that we're going to see the industry jump from such, uh, a, you know, the big transaction level in the next five years. If anything, I expect it will hit that amount in less than five years, just the way things are going. 
Um, and yeah, I think it's just it's just one of those things where the more options you have at the checkout, whether that's omnichannel experiences, whether that's a multitude of payment methods, it's just going to translate into more sales. And that's just kind of the the sort of start and end of it, really. So it doesn't surprise me at all to see these massive numbers um, in terms of e-commerce shopping. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. If anything, it's been exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. And I think it will really help physical stores and high street stores. It's something that they need to think about if they're going to compete with online sales. And it, it also shows that, you know, it's not one or the other. You, you can have both and you should be using both. I mean, Francis, what are your thoughts on this? I kind of just want to echo what Polly said, really. And that's the idea that payment options and having alternative payment methods and not having a sort of one sole option it's always going to be a benefit for the customer and in a world that is so customer driven the more options the better type of thing and I think what was interesting about um, the article Tyler is that it does look at what was so successful in the past year talking about BMPL being this big trend and what I sort of I wanted to bring up to talk to you guys about was sort of what is going to be the big trend going into 2022 almost. And I thought have it, I was in a, on a podcast with um, pay retailers yesterday and we were discussing payment localization services. And I thought that was something that could be the next big trend in the idea that there's going to be a one sort of size fits all that helps direct customers to buy things abroad with the currency that they're used to. And it's sort of it's this idea of financial inclusion. And I think that when you have the alternative payment methods and when you have all these options, you're really being as inclusive as possible. No, absolutely. I, I think you're you're bang on the money there. And we've seen with a lot of the other data that we've analysed is that consumers are abandoning their their shopping carts if it's if it's not convenient enough, if there's not if it's not seamless enough. And I think that Merchants should really adhere to this advice from Juniper Research because in the end, it will pay dividends for them massively. So, yes, I, I, I agree with all of your points here. And I, I would say, just to close, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if that figure was hit earlier than 2026 with with the speed and, and direction that we're moving in. So, so yeah. Um, Francis, what, what, uh, what article are you covering today? I can see Polly dying to chime in there. Go on, Polly. What do you want sorry, to say? Sorry. No, sorry, Ty. I just wanted to say something before we finish on that topic. It was more just a response to uh, Francis's uh, point about the trends that we're going to see this year. And I think he's absolutely on the money that payment localization is going to be one of the major things. And also, you're cheating on us with another podcast. How rude. Um, but sorry, guys. Sorry. I think yeah, it's true. <laughs> but um, no, I think I know the article Tyler brought up buy now pay later and how it sort of urged retailers to sort of get on that trend if they haven't already. Um, and I, speaking of trends and stuff, I really don't think buy now pay later is going away anytime soon. And if anything, I think it's just going to keep going and going and going and be the continued trend that we just keep seeing over the next year. I think a lot of things are gonna change possibly in terms of like the way it's regulated the way it's marketed that kind of thing. and even sort of like different branches off of it like buy now pay smarter or buy now pay faster that kind of thing but just in general these trends aren't moving but i think we will see different trends emerging uh 
such as the payment localization. Francis, you had something to add to that. No, I was just thinking of like those options. And one of the ones that came to mind was uh, a company called Fly Now Pay Later. And it's this idea that you're going to, it doesn't even need to be something in retail where you're buying clothes, trying them and sending them back. It can be in travel as well. This idea that you then pay for your travel expenses at a later date. So I think there really is sort of this idea that BNPL just isn't going anywhere. It's only going to become or have greater adoption this year. But I did think it was interesting to sort of look at what is going to be the next big thing in 2022? I think one of the things as well is that we are so early in 2022, like we're still in January. I don't think we even know yet what is going to be the next big thing. I bet it's going to be something completely new and different. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, like I think, you know, buy now, pay later. Was it really this popular this time last year? I mean, it was obviously it was there and it was still a thing, but was it like a huge trend as it is now this time last year? I don't think it was. I could be wrong and maybe I'm remembering one, but I don't think it was quite as this is the big thing that it was that it is now so again yeah it's just going to be super interesting sorry tyler i completely hijacked your newspaper article there but i just really wanted to say my point well it's unforgivable polly i'm sorry uh you crossed the line (laughs) but um no i i definitely think you're bang on the money and absolutely i mean is buy now pay later the future of 2022 will something else come out who knows well, let's wait and see. And hopefully, you know, maybe this time next week, we're going to be talking about the new technology that's coming through. It's all very exciting. I'm a bit giddy with excitement just thinking about it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's move over to Francis's article. Francis, what are you discussing this week? So on the topic of trends, is one possible trend going to be the end of credit cards as we know them? Oh, dun, 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 I know. Uh, that is a very bold statement, I know. But There is method to this madness, and it comes from Amazon and Visa. So in November of last year, Amazon made an announcement that they were going to ban the use of Visa credit cards on their giant e-commerce retail site. There were a variety of reasons for this, with the main one that Amazon stated being that the Visa credit card fees were too high. And there was a huge response to this, and I published a Spotlight article looking gathering the industry's response with some people saying that it was a selfish move by Amazon with some even suggesting it was a way of boosting its own uh, card saying that they were still accepting MasterCard credit cards which were the ones that powered their own card they denied this but at this point who knows and then there's this idea of that as we've discussed today that this was going to limit consumer payment options which is never a good thing however it would have saved Amazon money But on the flip side, consumers would no longer have Section 75 protection, which I know is something that we discussed in a um, podcast at the end of 2021. The interesting news comes is that the deadline for this was on the 19th of January, that the changes were going to be implemented and that Visa credit cards were no longer going to be accepted. Amazon have made a massive U-turn and sent out an email to their consumers saying that they are no longer going to be enforcing this and that negotiations have opened up again and I really wanted to sort of bring this to the table to sort of get your guys's responses and views and thinking is this going to be a knock-on effect is this something that we're going to see in the future where companies say they're not going to work with credit cards was it all a PR stunt I wanted to get your guys's views and opinions so Tyler I'll jump to you first well Jeff you have some explaining to do is what I think you know I really think this U-turn is quite a dangerous move I think it was a dangerous move to begin with, to be honest. I, I, I think it's definitely had 
a negative impact, the whole experience. Because, okay, yes, they were going to, to ban credit cards and that took people's interest out of Amazon, right? But now they've U-turned on that. And so it's quite, quite soon as well. And I think the consumer is now going to be like, well, gosh, Amazon, make up your mind, you know, do you want my money or not? So, yeah, I think that Amazon, you know, they, they, they've got a massive, massive footprint on the market. I mean, that's that's undeniable. But all this uncertainty and all this, oh, we're going to change our mind, oh, we're going to change our mind again. I, I think it's going to ultimately drive away consumers from, from their service, which you know they they already hold such a monopoly on the on the on the market i think that will have a, a a positive impact for other sellers but i think amazon maybe not have haven't thought this move through well enough and so yeah i think they've sort of damaged their reputation shot themselves in the foot a bit with this um i mean you know it will save consumers that you know people will be like oh well, we can now use our credit card but I, I, I yeah I, I, I'm not really not much positive to say from this move from Amazon to be honest. I know that one of the experts that you spoke to Polly in your article said that this U-turn would just confuse consumers like some of them would be wouldn't see this new news <laughs> and then they would still be under the impression that they couldn't use credit cards. Some people would be like, well, I saw this before. Why is this now happening? And it just creates uh, this whole air of confusion. And it just makes the, the shopping experience that much more complicated. And as we said, in a world where you need to be clear, seamless and concise, any confusion is going gonna, is gonna to lose you sales. So, yeah, Polly, what, what are your thoughts? I have many thoughts on this. I'm just trying to think of how, how to phrase them first. Um... Number one, I I don't think that it was ever the plan to stop using the Visa credit cards. Maybe that's a bit of a bold statement, but I, I think it was not necessarily like a PR stunt, but I think it was more of a bit of an experiment to see, you know, what would happen. And uh, for the article that I wrote that we are discussing, I did speak to um, Ben Goodall, who is the CEO of online payments firm Bank.com, and he kind of agrees with me. Well, he made the point that Amazon is smarter than just playing chicken with Visa over fees. And, you know, they were just kind of testing customer loyalty to the Amazon brand versus a payment brand. And I think that's kind of the case here that, you know, they were seeing what would happen. Like, would people move over to their own credit card? Because I believe they own their own sort of credit offering that they were trying to push um, during this time maybe they didn't get enough signups for that so they did go okay right let's axe it and get visa back I don't know but I think it's just a very interesting scenario in the first place my second point is kind of around card fees in general and merchant fees in general um, so I think card fees have always been kind of like a big deal in the industry, particularly on the merchant side of things, and particularly when we're looking at like small businesses and the smaller players in the industry. And I think the con, the con, not the concerning thing, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but with this situation, obviously the big giant Amazon has gone, we don't like your fees, Visa, do something about it. And Visa have gone, okay, we will. 
because they're Amazon, you know, they're this huge giant and they are, you know, they have this monopoly, like you said. And so they are probably going to end up negotiating a better deal and probably get lower fees on their visa transactions, which is likely going to be the case. But Amazon can afford those fees. You know, they are like a billion dollar company. They have, you know, so much money that card fees are likely just pocket change to them. The real people that are affected by card fees are the small businesses. You know, they are the merchants. They are these tiny little one person bands who you know, to them, card fees are like taking a significant chunk of their revenue away from them. Like I went uh, to a town this weekend just for a meet around and I bought a mug from this little pottery place. And he basically said to me, can you please pay in cash? Because card fees are huge, even though we had a card machine there. So I think they're the ones that are being affected. And they're the ones that are going to sort of come out of this sort of row between Amazon and Visa the same, if not worse. Like there's no way the mum and dad small business is going to be able to go up to Visa and say, hey, I think your card fees are too high. Can you give us a better deal? Visa is going to be like, no, why would we do that? But Amazon, because they're so huge, can do it. And, you know, they're this big company that can take it. And so that's kind of the really upsetting thing. Not the upsetting thing, but that's kind of the big point here. I think I'm trying to make that card fees have always been an issue. And now yet again, Amazon are coming out better than other places. And that's a little bit annoying. I'm annoyed we don't have more time to discuss it because it really is opening a tin of, like, a can of beans that I think would just be great to explore in further detail. But I do completely agree and I, with the point that you've made, and that is that the small business person is going to be the one that comes off worse. Um, or at least I'd argue it's worse. Like you said, it could be the same or they're not impacted. I'd argue that it's worse because Amazon, this, this retail giant, has backed down to Visa. They've U-turned and gone, actually, we do need you. So it had this giant sort of set the way and gone, ah, oh, we actually don't need Visa. Then that Visa would start to panic and think, oh, other companies are going to start to think the same. Which is, again, one of the other points that uh, an expert you spoke to brought up is, are other companies going to start to do something similar and ban credit cards due to these high transaction fees following in Amazon's footsteps? However, backtracking on this, I think, gives the power back to Visa because it shows that even someone as big as Amazon needs and relies on them and that and that sort of gives them all this sort of I don't want to say kudos but it puts this huge amount of just power I guess back into the hands of the payment provider and lets them decide how expensive things are going to be I think from like just a consumer standpoint I think we generally kind of often forget about Visa and MasterCard and how they're no they're actual companies that make money and make a lot of money. I think you know you just you have your debit card or your credit card and you as a consumer just use it and forget about the fees on the other side of things that for your payments. And I think it's very easy to forget just how big of a monopoly Visa has on the world and how much sway they must have. And like you say, yeah, Amazon have have rolled over and yeah, I just I worry for the small businesses. I worry for the small merchants because they are ultimately the ones that are just really going to be affected by this whole thing. But anyway, like you said, Francis, I know we can absolutely talk about this all day. Uh, this like It's just a huge can of worms, but we must move on. Um, so we are now going to move on to what I learned this week. Obviously, as journalists in the fintech industry, so much stuff comes across our desks every week. And we learn something new every day. So we thought it'd be a really great part to, you know, share it with you. So Tyler, what have you learned this week? Thank you, Polly. Well, this week I learned that between October 2020 and September 2021, 
there were just over 177,000 web attacks from URLs that were linked to crypto miners. So that would be a very interesting thing to explore in the future. And I'd just like to add that 70% of these links, which was a massive, when we looked at the data, it was a massive taking. 70% of these URLs originated from the US. So uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I was looking at this week. Fantastic. Thank you, Tyler. Francis, what have you learned this week? My what I've learned this week follows in a similar vein to Tyler's looking at cybersecurity. And that is that many experts seem to believe that we are, we have the right level of technology right now. The issue lies with the training that employees are having in their own companies and that it is the better training that is needed to ensure that there are less attacks. However, this isn't necessarily something that technology can help with. Fantastic. Thank you, Francis. I think it's funny that you can totally tell what we're focusing on at the FinTech Times this month, because mine is also vaguely related to cybersecurity and financial crime. Uh, so what I learned this week is that hackers are not the only ones committing financial crimes in the modern day. Um, and in fact, in 2021, UK banks and individuals were fined a total of 560 eight million pounds by the fca for carrying out regulated activities without authorization insider dealing and non-financial misconduct and that is a huge amount of money so again that's going to be an interesting one i think to keep an eye on and maybe talk about in a podcast at a later date um but anyway guys thank you so much uh, for joining me today it's been super fun always enjoy our discussions so thanks so much and i'll catch you on the next one thank you guys see you next week Cheers, guys. I think we need to have a payments trend recap in 2023 to see how accurate we were. <laughs> Absolutely. Mark mark the date in your calendars. We'll exactly. Yeah. Catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.